Welcome to Lilac Wine, the podcast. If you have not yet listened to the previous chapters, please do so. We are releasing this novel in progress one chapter at a time, and I don't want you to miss anything. It was the summer of 1917. As America prepares to shed her blood on a distant shore, two lonely people are brought together by fate, torn apart by war, consecrated by wine. Lilac wine. And now, Lilac wine. Chapter 5 Abelia, by far, had the largest plot of land of anyone in Lily Springs. When she purchased the house on the southern outskirts of town 20 years ago, she had also purchased the land immediately to the south and east of the house as well. All told, her land measured in the realm of two and a half acres, although she was never really sure of the exact amount, as an accurate survey had never been taken. Nonetheless, every single inch of that land had a purpose. The very southern parcel was reserved for a small orchard of apple, cherry, and peach trees. One large tree in the center of that orchard held not only apples, but pears and peaches as well. Those who did not understand the ancient craft of grafting believed that Abelia had some type of mystic powers over the plants. A few souls believed that the devil must have played a role in Abelia's green thumb and refused to sample Abelia's produce that she brought out occasionally on market day, especially the apples. A large vegetable and herb garden occupied the middle portion of the land along with a greenhouse that she had built from scratch shortly after moving into the house. It was in that greenhouse where she cross-pollinated flowers, grafted branches onto saplings, and generally experimented in the creation of new varieties of plants, flowers, and fruits. Tropical plants imported from such exotic destinations as Brazil and Hawaii grew tall in that greenhouse. There, Abelia could pick lemons for her lemonade or an orange during the winter months. Something new could always be found growing in that greenhouse, and the progeny of her experiments dotted the landscape in the immediate vicinity of her house. There were flowers growing in Abelia's garden that could be found nowhere else on the planet. Entire varieties that did not exist prior to her delicate touch waved in the gentle breeze on warm summer days. Charlotte Cunningham, an elderly widow who lived in the north of town, liked to paint and had asked many years ago for the privilege of painting in Abelia's garden. Several times a summer, Charlotte can be found sitting at an easel with a brush and palette in hand, capturing a little of what she called the Gaverni of Lily Springs. Her paintings were not very good and, in fact, were growing worse by the year, as was 
Charlotte's arthritis. But Abelia left her alone, seldom speaking to her beyond what was necessitated by courtesy. But secretly, Abelia was proud of the fact that Charlotte so much enjoyed passing a few days in the summer amongst her flowers. She often handed the old woman a basket of fresh herbs or fruit as they said their goodbyes. Charlotte was not so particular about where her apples came from and didn't hold the same feelings about Abelia that some of the old women in her congregation held. Although Abelia did not know it, there were times at Sunday morning tea at the Lily Springs Community Church when Charlotte staunchly defended that strange spinster who lived to the south of town. Abelia smiled at Charlotte as she made her way to the vegetable garden to tend to weeds and to prune some of the plants. Charlotte was concentrating on a sea of bright yellow and white flowers that had just recently bloomed in the center of her garden. The flowers sat atop long stems, the bright yellow sepals surrounding white trumpet-like blades. When she asked Abelia the name of the flower, Abelia replied that it didn't have a name. She rarely named her creations, actually. She just told Charlotte that it was a cross between tick seed and columbine. They're so beautiful, stated Charlotte as she clumsily pushed her brush into a glob of yellow paint on her palette. And so fragrant. Abelia smiled as she stretched her work gloves over her hands. Out in the distance could be heard the intense barking of dogs. Art must be on his rounds, said Abelia. One of these days, stated Charlotte, those dogs are going to get him in a lot of trouble. Indeed, complaints about Art's dogs had escalated since he had taken over Owen's route since the accident the week before. The dogs apparently couldn't live without Art and followed him everywhere, and Art had very little control over them. A dozen dogs or so could be seen following the aging postmaster as he walked from house to house delivering the mail. Some of the dogs were big, some of them small. In fact, they were all mutts without a single pedigree amongst them. And they acted it. They were loud, messy, and disobedient. They were all strays that Art had corralled over the years. It just seemed like any stray wandering into Lily Springs found its way to Art's house. Now they wandered the streets, surrounding Art as he stumbled his way over Owen's route, trying desperately not to trip on some of the small dogs barking at his heels. People went into their houses when they heard the sound of Art and his dogs moving down the street. First floor windows were shut for fear a dog may jump through in order to snatch whatever was being created in the kitchen or resting on the windowsills. Tom had attempted to talk to Art about the complaints, but Art insisted that there was nothing he could do. The dogs had minds of their own, he said. If I lock them in the house, he explained, they always find their way out. Since Art normally spent his time in the post office and rarely went out on rounds, the dogs were seldom an issue. Occasionally, some people in Lily Springs noticed small teeth marks on their postcards or the musty smell of wet dog on the envelopes of their letters. But since the dogs were out of sight, no one truly complained. However, now it seemed like Lily Springs was being overrun by the dogs. And suddenly, Abelia's backyard became the first victim.
As she was kneeling in the garden training a vine of cucumber, she heard a scream from the flower garden. She looked up just in time to see three things, a rabbit, a pack of dogs, and Charlotte being pushed from her stool, the pallet falling against her blouse and her wide-brimmed hat tumbling from her head. The little brown rabbit crisscrossed the yard, the dogs in close pursuit barking and tearing up tufts of sod. Abelia stumbled to help Charlotte, but was bumped by a large Labrador mix, which sent her sprawling headfirst into a patch of alfalfa. The rabbit attempted to take refuge in Abelia's vegetable garden, and very soon the dogs were there too. Cucumber vines flew into the air. Carrots were pulled from the ground. Tomatoes and corn knocked over. The poor rabbit didn't have a chance. One of the smaller dogs nipped it in the hindquarter. The rabbit lost its momentum and stumbled right into the mouth of a large, familiar woolly dog, part St. Bernard and part German Shepherd. It was Teddy. The dog who had been here last week with Glenn. The dog viciously shook the animal, growling with its prey. The other dog circled, trampling any remaining vegetable plant in Abelia's garden. Out! Out! Abelia yelled as she stood, waving her hat in a desperate attempt to rid her garden of the vile animals. As a result, some darted towards the back of Abelia's property, toward the orchard. Abelia turned to Charlotte. She was lying motionless on the ground, the paint palette resting on her chest. Abelia rushed to the elderly woman, calling her name. There was no answer. Charlotte! Charlotte, are you all right? Abelia knelt down next to Charlotte and watched as one of Charlotte's eyes slowly opened. Are they gone? She asked in a soft voice. Abelia surveyed the yard. The dogs were gone, except for the one large dog parading through the yard with the limp, bloody rabbit in its mouth. Yes, they're gone, for the most part. She helped Charlotte into the sitting position. Always play dead in a situation like that, Abby, and they won't hurt you. That's the most important thing I've learned in life. Abelia pulled the pallet from Charlotte's blouse to reveal a formerly white blouse now splattered with brightly colored paint. Oh, my, said Charlotte. I look like your garden, dear. Abelia helped her to her feet as a winded and tired Art appeared in the yard. He was clutching his mailbag tightly as he steadied himself. Upon seeing his master, the large dog deposited the rabbit at Art's feet, sat down, and wagged his tail. I'm... I'm sorry, ladies, he said, as he surveyed the yard, the realization that Abelia's beloved garden was horribly mangled, changed his countenance. Oh, my, he muttered under his breath. Abelia didn't know what to say. Anger rose in her gut, and she had an urge to strike Art in the face. She didn't do that, of course. She never acted on impulse. She merely straightened the lines of her skirt and tightened the bun on her head and turned her back on the postmaster. Uh, the view wasn't good. The grass paths were torn up and would probably need to be reseeded. The vegetables were damaged beyond recognition. Only one lone corn seedling stood defiantly amid the carnage. My garden was all Abelia could say.
Abelia excused herself to the house when people from Lily Springs began showing up in her backyard. Rose, of course, was first. She was awakened from a nap by the commotion and rushed to the window to see what was happening in her neighbor's yard. However, the dogwood shrub blocked her view, so not knowing exactly what was happening next door, she rang for the police. Maggie, Rose said to the town's only switchboard operator. Get Tom. There's something happening at Abelia Brody's house. I think she and Charlotte are being attacked by wild animals. Maggie Churchill was accustomed to the ranting of Rose. In her 15 years as the sole switchboard operator for Lily Springs, she had her share of exaggerated and lofty claims made by the widow. Sometimes Rose would ring her for no reason at all other than to talk gossip. Maggie, for the most part, was patient even when Rose rang her in the middle of the night just to talk under the pretense of hearing a strange noise outside. Rose was one of the last people to get a phone line in her house, but was the only one who used it the most. But through the static on the line, Maggie could hear a commotion in the background and quickly plugged in the connection for the Lily Springs police station. After she had given Tom Brooks the message, she continued making calls. Soon the entire town of Lily Springs knew that something was happening in Abelia's backyard. Sitting in her kitchen with the windows open, Abelia watched as some 20 people mingled on her property. She had opened a cabinet to remove a dark bottle of mulberry wine and poured a small glass, being careful that she and the contraband were hidden from view. It was a strange feeling for her having so many people in her backyard. Some, she was sure, came for the mere curiosity of being in a place that few people had seen. After all, Abelia never hosted gatherings nor opened up her house to neighbors. And it's not like Abelia had many friends in Lily Springs. Charlotte really was the only person who had spent any considerable time at all in Abelia's garden. Luckily, her precious flowers were unhurt by the trespass. She watched as some of the people in the midst of conversation stopped to behold the flowers. Rose, Charlotte, and Gerald were discussing the situation at the foot of the flower bed. Charlotte, her blouse still spattered with paint, pointed to the flowers that she was painting prior to the dog invasion. The mayor closed his eyes and inhaled the fragrant air. Gotta hand it to her, he said. Abelia sure knows how to make a garden. That she does, replied Rose. Tom Brooks was the last to arrive, no doubt, because he decided to take his horse rather than the car the village had purchased for the department two years ago. Upon his appearance, people crowded around him, voicing their own complaints about Art's dogs. The voices grew louder and louder, and Abelia heard something about trampled rose bushes, a stolen pie, and muddy paw prints. The voices became indistinct and muddled until Gerald finally yelled for quiet. Looking around, he had a puzzled look on his face. "'Where the hell is Art?' he asked. The others looked around, too, but Art was nowhere in sight. "'He was just here a minute ago,' someone said. Abelia scanned her yard and saw a single flash of light from beyond the greenhouse. It was Art, patting the earth under an oak tree with a shovel. Abelia didn't know if the flash she saw was from the shovel reflecting the sunlight that peeked above the branches or from Art's balding head. 
Hidden from view from the rest of the group, Art was filling a small hole. Abelia finished her wine in a quick gulp and, moving unnoticed through the crowd, joined Art under the tree. "'I am so sorry, Miss Brody,' Art said, wiping the perspiration from his forehead with a handkerchief. "'I hope you don't mind, but I buried the poor creature here under the tree.' There was an awkward silence as the two of them stood, not knowing what to say. Abelia looked around for the dogs. They were nowhere in sight. "'Your vegetables, Abby,' Art said at last. "'I know how much work you put into them.' "'That's okay,' replied Abelia. "'I could always grow more.' Art pressed the dirt down with his foot. "'I talked to Gerald before the rest arrived, and I will no longer be doing the route, so rest assured this won't happen again.' Where are the dogs? Art interrupted. Glenn took them back to the office. For some reason, they listened to him. <laughs> they didn't mean no harm, Abby. Abelia nodded. She noticed that the crowd at the house was beginning to disperse. Who's now going to do the route while Owen is recovering? Asked Abelia. Right now, I got Billy to do it for a few days. He's done it before... Then I got a relative coming up for a few weeks. He'll take over for a bit. Gerald had finally seen Art and Abelia and started walking in their direction. I know that fixing the garden will be a lot of work, and I'll... God damn it, Art! Where have you been? Gerald yelled, then glancing at Abelia, added, Sorry, Abby. He turned towards Art. Look, Art, there are a lot of angry people here. Some were talking about pressing charges. He turned toward Abelia. Do you want to press charges, Abby? Abelia shook her head. Good, said Gerald. I don't know if that is necessary at this time, but has Art told you about his relative? Did you tell her about that relative of yours, Art? Not waiting for Art to reply, he continued. Art's got a young relative coming into town for a few weeks to help out at the post, so Art's agreed that he'll stop by and lend you a hand with that garden of yours. Abelia was surprised. That's not necessary, gentlemen, she said. After all, she had built the garden from scratch without any help, and she sure didn't need it now. She would simply try to salvage and nurse the plants, perhaps even transplant some sod. Besides, it seemed rather strange to be volunteering someone who seemed to have no say in the matter. No, I insist, Abby, and if Art's relative can't help, Art will be here himself. Abelia smiled and gave in. I'd be obliged, she said, knowing full well that, in the end, she would do all of the work just as it was meant to be. Now you, Gerald said, turning to Art once again, we have some more business. We need to talk about what you're going to do with those goddamn dogs. And then he added automatically, sorry, Abby. The two men turned to leave as Art handed back a bilia shovel. He'll be here in a few days. He's from Chicago. Name's Robert. I haven't seen him since he was a baby, so I don't know much about him. Hopefully he'll be able to lend you a hand and not cause you any more trouble. Gerald smiled. I don't know how much help he'll actually be. Perhaps in the end you could teach that city boy a thing or two about flowers. The two men said goodbye and walked back up to the house, Gerald swearing here and there at Arthur and his dogs. Abelia picked up the shovel and leaned it against the greenhouse. City boy, she thought to herself, and laughed.
a little out loud. that was chapters five and six of Lilac Wine, a special double episode. I am Bruce Janu, the author, and I just want to remind you that this is a rough draft of a novel that I've been writing for a very long time, and it's a very rough draft. I didn't differentiate between the chapters while reading. My chapters tend to be very short, and... uh, Actually, I'm not quite sure why I had that as two chapters. You could probably tell where one chapter ended and one chapter began. And uh, chapter five ended with Abelia looking out over her garden. And then chapter six began with her excusing herself into her house and kind of watching what was happening. My chapters, like I said, tend to be rather short, and I kind of begin each chapter with a little exposition. And so we heard about uh, Maggie Churchill, the lone telephone operator there in Lily Springs. So there were some things that I had to you know, research for these chapters, which are really plot moving devices with art and his dogs, of course, and the destruction of uh, Abelia's garden. And um, so I wanted readers to get kind of a sense of just how special Abelia is at her gardening. And so we have uh, grafting there. And uh, didn't know anything about grafting, but it is really kind of a cool thing. So Abelia's got that greenhouse in her backyard and an orchard. And in the middle of her orchard is a tree that has apples, pears, and peaches because she grafted branches on. So she's got one tree with all of that different fruit. Didn't know it could be done. And it, it, is, it is done. It's been done for thousands of of years, really. And we get a sense that Abelia invents and creates new varieties of plants and flowers, and that's going to play a big role in the plot to come. And of course, I had to uh, research a little bit about uh, early uh, telephones, and that was kind of interesting. So small towns tended to have a switchboard operator that switchboard operator sometimes would, in small towns in particular, operate out of their homes. Uh, the telephone company would be paying them, and that would be their job. So they would have to switch the lines when somebody made a call at any time of the day. That's what the telephone operator would be doing. So I, I don't know. I think that worked better as a single chapter instead of two, but it's kind of weird having that Maggie Churchill exposition right there in the middle of the chapter. And of course, doing the different voices. I, as I was, It's hard to differentiate voices when you are reading. And I've debated going back and forth on to whether or not uh, I should make this like uh, an audio drama with me kind of reading 
the story, yet having other people do the voices. Hmm. That just seems a little bit more time-consuming. But I hope it's not too much of a distraction. But you can let me know, you know. Go to lilacwinenovel.com. I have a message board set up where you can make comments, you can make suggestions, you can ask me questions, and I'd be more than willing to answer them in these segments of the podcast. Next week, we are going back to Chicago for Robert's final night in Chicago, and he's going to go to his, his favorite place. Well, one of his favorite places. He loves movies. And so next week is a chapter that I am particularly proud of. I love this chapter. Put a lot of work into it and reading about the early movie industry in Chicago. Charlie Chaplin in particular, May Mills. Yeah, wait till you meet May Mills and Slacker Raids. So there's a lot of 1917 next week. So I hope you join me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please do me a favor and go to iTunes or go to your favorite podcast service and write a review if you could like to get some more listeners. And um, if there's anything that you think I could do to improve this podcast and improve your enjoyment of it, please let me know. So until next week, I am Bruce Janu. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is produced by Bell Book and Camera Productions. Visit bellbookcamera.com for more information. Lilac Wine is written and produced by me, Bruce David Janu. All content is copyrighted and cannot be used without expressed written permission. If you are liking Lilac Wine, the podcast, please take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes. That will help us gain more listeners. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. The intro voiceover was provided by my colleague and friend, Rachel Vissing. We work together on another podcast at the school where we both work. That podcast is We Are EG and tells the stories of students and staff at Elk Grove High School, but demonstrates that no matter where you are, we all have something in common. Check that podcast out at weareg.org and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. All music and sound effects are licensed through audioblocks.com. Please visit Lilac Wine Novel to join the discussion. Ask me questions, make comments. The purpose of Lilac Wine, the podcast, is to discuss the creative process. Your comments and suggestions are greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening.